Klaus Zeichura, as head of design at Volkswagen, uh, you must be very pleased with your new car, the VW Aero. Yeah, that is correct. At Volkswagen, we believe that our new car will really stand out. Uh, why is that? Is it because it's an electric saloon in a market crowded by SUVs? No, 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 not at all. The VW Aero is unique because it will be available in mint, orange, and original bubble flavor. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. He's Alex Goy. Hi. I'm Gareth Jones. And last weekend was the big festival. Yes, the one that everyone gets very excited about months and months and months before it happens. No, not Glastonbury. The other one that starts with a G that our lot go to. Not Glastonbury. I don't want to get muddy in a field with Paul McCartney singing Hey Jude again. Again? Again. Really? I mean, okay, each their own. Glastonbury is very much the Le Mans of pop music. But you went to the Glastonbury of Hill Climbs, the Goodwood Festival of Speed, Alex. I watched it on TV, but you were there. Why were you there? I was there for a couple of days doing work. I was actually doing work and everything. And everything. So I was writing a thing for some people. Hopefully it'll be out by the time this goes out, doing a thing on the weird and wonderful stuff of Goodwood for GQ. And then on the Friday, I haven't told you about this yet, the lovely folk from Lotus asked if I could do a little bit of panel moderation, have a natter with that Jensen Button chap. Oh, <laughs> my mate Jensen Button. Your you mate Jensen Button, yeah. Jensen is becoming increasingly connected. To Lotus. He was there for the Electra launch, and I had a chat mm-hmm. with him for the show and a more casual chat afterwards. And of course, his Radford project. Yes, which was at the Festival of Speed. I managed to completely miss it, but it was there and it was looking very purple, I'm told. Jensen is a part owner of Radford, is that right? Yeah, it's him and Hansted and another man whose name completely escapes me. And do you know what? Radford's relationship with Lotus is, other than they're building a car and a licence, Lotus aren't building the cars for Radford, are they? Radford's building them. I think Lotus has a sort of help, how do we do this engineering bits, because what it is underneath is a Lotus. It's a Lotus underneath. It's just heavily coach built. Yeah, and massively engineered to be incredibly powerful with you know race car bits, I imagine. But yeah, they're already making a few of those, and they cost more money than you or I will ever make in our entire lives. I'm not sure how the connection works, but Mr. Button, I see him wearing a Lotus Polo shirt more often than I see him wearing a normal shirt. <laughs> I noticed him wearing a Lotus polo shirt during one of the interviews that he did on the live stream which was glorious and i watched hours and hours and hours and hours of i do enjoy goodwood as do you you've been many many times as have i yeah i can't remember how many i'm on because the first time i went you remember when twitter was sort of not full of nazis and just a really nice place to share ideas what the first six weeks yeah when it was just really nice. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I was sort of a fledgling car hack and someone said, oh, have a ticket. You and a mate come along. And I went and I was, you know, no access to anything, no special treatment, no this, no that. And I fell in love with it. It was just the most brilliant thing. It bumbled around for a day. Me and my mate got weapons-grade sunburn Ow. and vowed to go back as many times as possible. I think you've nailed it there in one sentence. You said, oh, we didn't have any official access to everything, but... You don't need it. The joy of Goodwood is you don't need it. You can rub chins with 
world Formula One champions and great drivers of Le Mans, and you can touch the cars in the paddock. It does allow you unrivaled access, as they say. It's mm. a joy, isn't it? And the smell, of course. I mean, where else can you get right next to a Porsche 917? Yeah. I mean, they frown upon it if you touch them, because you shouldn't. You should look with your eyes. But, you know, there it was, sat... Right opposite a golf livery 917, oh. like the golf livery 917. Just over there was a sort of Aston Tickford thing, and over there was a 904 and a 906, and over there was a Ford GT40 in the Cathedral Paddock, and that's where they're all based. You know, it's like, it smells like oil, and there's petrol, and there's stuff like that going on. And then you wander through, and there's a McLaren Artura, just there. Yeah. They do have security there, though. A kid was taking a picture next to it and was touching it, and I saw this giant man in his shirt sleeves wandering up, going, Oh, kid, you're about to get a telling off of a lifetime from a very angry man. And then you get to see this stuff fly up the hill, which was just fascinating. It was really, really cool this year. Because, of course, the last two years, two years ago, we had Speed Week, which was weird. Yeah, with very few people there, if anyone other than the people driving. I went there. Oh, you were there? Yeah, I was at the circuit. It was very strange. The reason I was there was because Audi had a 40 years of Quattro celebration, I think. Yeah. Um, So we all kind of went to the big house and had lunch at the big house, but there was no grandstand opposite it. There was no nothing. It was just a house in a field. And it was really weird. It was cool, but it was really weird. And then we went up to the Speed Week thing. We did a lap of the circuit and then... We were invited to have a wander round, which was lovely. But the strange thing was it was the same kind of a similar atmosphere in the paddock because there were lots of old cars and there were lots of people getting very excited about it. But there was no punters. Uh-huh. Spooky. At all. It was really weird. Yeah. It was lovely, but it was weird. And then last year it was a pilot event because it was still a bit COVID-y last year. But now it's back in full swing. I heard numbers like 55,000, 65,000 people a day. Wow, that was my next question. Yeah, how many people were there watching it on TV? It was pretty rammed. It felt like a lot. I mean, it was there on Friday and it was fairly sensible. But, you know, it's still a bit of ducking and dodging and weaving to try and get out of the way of people. And then on the Saturday, it was just rammed. Wall-to-wall human beings. It was ridiculous. And you drove there... In a very interesting Mercedes, didn't you? Can you tell me about that? I drove there in a Merc EQS, so the Lecky S-Class thing. And? I put it on Twitter and I've had people uh, basically hate it, going, why does it do this? Why is it complicated? Why is it so noisy? Why is it so creaky? I think the one I had, I won't lie, it's not a very engaging car to drive. It's a big slab of electricity, so the floor is just batteries. The range in the one I had was about 380 miles, which was enough to get me to Goodwood and back with half a battery left, which is just fine for me. It was really comfy. The thing I noticed about it was that it's really comfy and it has loads of assist systems. Because, it, you know, it's this sort of this electric car future. So I just set the cruise control to do 70 miles an hour and then I had to do nothing. And that I found really distracting because if something did happen, I was there, but I wasn't quite as on it as I would be. Yeah. If, if you get what I mean, it was, it was very, maybe I'm just being old and weird. You have, though, defined what the S-Class is all about. Yeah. Number one smooth and luxury right that's Mm -hmm. its primary goal number two the s-class historically has been a pioneer in every bit of road technology that's now filtered down to even you know some 
kids, you might say. You know, mm. the S class did it first. Yeah. So what you're looking at here is a marker for stuff that's going to be on a lot of cars in the future. And fair play to Mercedes. You know, they've got to take the fight to. Tesla, Audi, everyone, Neo, and everyone else. Yeah, correct. With electric cars, and that's a handy range, isn't it? It's a cool thing. It's certainly got some looks. People paid attention to it. The fact that it was so quiet, I think, drew a lot of people's eyes. I'm not a big fan of the styling. I think it looks a bit like a bar of soap. It does look like a bar of soap. Yeah, very nice bar of soap, but it looks yeah, like a very bar of soap. Expensive bar of soap. Yeah. <laughs> what looks Castile? <laughs> Night Castile <laughs> or looks? <laughs> The active safety systems are terrified of anything. Ah, uh-huh. it's probably a legal requirement, isn't it? Oh, there's someone behind you. There's someone alongside you. I trust it, but it doesn't trust me. Yeah. So if someone pulls out on the A3, I could quite happily jump on the brakes, peel off and lose some speed. Except the car goes, oh, no, there's something in front of us. I must do an emergency stop from 70 miles an hour. And then Uh-oh. you sort of, the parachutes come on. You think, oh, my God, what's happening? That was quite irritating. But the rest of it, plush, comfy. The menus were a bit of a pain in the bum. Because you can have the hyperscreen. Hyperscreen? What? I can only imagine. Which is basically the width of the dashboard. Really? It's an entire thing. Now, this one didn't have it. It had a digital dash and a digital infotainment screen. But you can have a hyper screen. And I'm playing with a car with one of those in a few weeks. Which I'm quite excited about. I think it's an hyper screen, isn't it? It is an hyper screen. Well, whatever it is, it's bloody massive. Wow. And very expensive. But yeah, so looking forward to playing with an hyper screen. It was a wonderful way to go around, actually. It was not in any way engaging. But that's not what it's about. Yeah. I mean, eventually, this is the sort of prototype for the autonomous pod of the future. Yeah, some pod. If that is the vision of the future, being wafted automatically from one place to another in a hyper-screen, hyper-luxurious <laughs> vehicle... Thing, lump of car. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. There may be other versions of that which are a bit more interactive, but... In a couple of weeks, I'll be able to tell you a bit more about that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Give us a clue. What can you tell me that you can't tell me? AMG. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's for another day. Okay, yes. Because I've got to drive the bloody thing first. But no, back to Goodwood. This year was packed and there was so much cool stuff going on and I kind of missed it yep. from last year. So we had the big stands, we had the giant behemoths, a few kind of notable absences. The kind of old Audi behemoth wasn't there, which was a bit strange. Oh. But... I wonder if that was because the focus this year was on BMW M series mm. and therefore Audi said oh no, no let's not compete with that let's not do that the sculpture was once again cars on sticks pointing at the sky except the star car on this one was the BMW LMDH yeah which will be racing next year in IMSA and in WEC it looked pretty good I mean I know nothing about it other than it's a you know, hybrid V8 powertrain and it's been on a stick that's kind of about it but it looked very pretty and it wasn't the only lmdh to be launched or unveiled you might say at goodwood because the porsche 963 is that what it's called the penske porsche lmdh that is going to be racing in imsa and the wec and le mans next year Mm. that was also launched there it was i saw it i was walking past the porsche cafe it looked very red it was very red very 
red and white and black classic Bensky colors yeah yeah mm. it was exciting for me to see that and that's a good thing about goodwood you know they call it the moving motor show don't they yeah it's much more than just a hill climb it's much more than a picnic day out oh yeah there was what, a whole cavalcade of bugattis which just made me happy that would make anyone happy you had the world record cars the first time the three of them had been together and you had the devo and all the other sort of chiron derivatives hammering up the hill in vast fast pace making noise and making big kids like me go wow that's the best we had the mercedes amg project one thing that looked cool bit of drama in there sounds all right sounds like an f1 car slightly revved down but it does sound sounds all right but also has to work at low speed and more than once yeah so you know there's a lot of engineering has gone into that which is quite fascinating the rimats nevera was there good old matey there was a delage d12 you heard of this no neither had i uh, it turns out it came out a couple of years ago it's got big caparo t1 vibes a sort of f1 car for the road kind of vibe. kind of well a sort of wipeout pod uh-huh. yeah i know exactly what you mean the yeah. playstation game wipeout so kind of like that it's a massive thing with weird serif lettering on the back and I think it's one of those cars, like, they will sell 12 of them, and only 12. All to the same very, very wealthy person. All to the same very, very wealthy people. The Lotus Evaya was there. You know, all this really cool new stuff. But then, again, the old thing. So, you know, Bentley had bought its continuation blower. So car zero, 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 whatever they called it, was going up and down the hill, which was just ace to see. Loved some of that. Everything you could possibly want. It was a beautiful little playground. I mean, okay, tiny little hatchbacks weren't there, but the big stuff was there and it was properly cool. Mercedes even bought the EQXX on a single charge. Now that thing. From Stuttgart. I heard. Looks weird, but really smart. 1,200 kilometres, so what's that in real money? That's some distance for an electric car. That's 700 and something miles on a single charge, which is impressive. I mean, it went silently up the hill, but it was there. And then you've got the drift cars that just wantonly destroy tyres for fun. First thing of the day, I was stood on a corner and these cars just haired past, putting microplastics up my nostrils, and I did not care. Worse than microplastics, micro-rubbers. Apparently, tyres are 1,000 times more polluting than we thought they were emissions from tyres are a massive problem and that's going to be something that we're all going to have to tackle soon and the drifters well they're doing their best aren't they to spread the love (laughs) they really are spread the love straight from the rim into my lungs and i don't care it smells nice and it tastes good it tastes like happiness and tastes like the old days i was musing on drifting as i was watching the coverage it's a fabulous skill those guys have a little too much power, let's be honest. They are amazing. What do you mean? At being very precise. I absolutely get their skills. But it... I want to say it doesn't impress me. Yes, it impressed me, but... Does it impress me in a way that I want to be impressed? No. I'd much rather see someone cleanly going up there or a rally car going up the hill than I would a drift car sort of doing it sideways. It's a great skill. Well, that, it's just weird. Gareth, is the glory of Goodwood yeah. because if you want a clean run, if you want rally cars going up the hill, you may have them by the bucket load. And if you're a child like me, and me. you can have that and big cars doing skids. It was great. One of the things that got my attention was Nasser Al-Attiyah, who is a multiple 
Dakar winner. Mm. He was driving the Hilux Dakar, the Toyota Hilux Oh, right. I saw that very briefly and then had to run away and do a work thing. And the thing I enjoyed about it was that he went up the hill in that car, very impressive, all slewing one way and another and rolling elegantly with its massive suspension travel. And then was guided from the hill direct to the rally stage at Goodwood and then performed on the rally stage in the same car and then left the rally stage and went for their off-road stage there and leapt this thing over these jumps there. (laughs) And that was pure entertainment, motortainment, as they say, you know. If you want to see something that you've never seen before to illustrate the versatility of a vehicle that was the way to do it you know if only there'd been a swimming pool he probably could have gone through that as well you know what about a building a porter cabin probably would have done that very easily an orphanage a lion cage you name it off he goes no it's brilliant i think the thing is you watched it from home you probably got more of the goodwood experience than i did yeah probably yeah saw more yeah yeah because people were running around whereas i was going from point to point to point now a couple of random highlights the kind of gas arena with people doing motocross tricks and stunts like people were literally flying that blew my tiny mind because you don't see that ever so these are the guys on motocross bikes who do stunts in the air and hang on to the handlebars via their nostrils yes pretty much one of them was doing the superman trick which is where you let go of the bike and then grab it back and sit on it and it's most disconcerting. Disconcerting is the word. I did something called a reverse bungee once. When you jump really high and then twanged back to yes, earth. Yes, sort of, yes. In a conventional bungee, you jump off a bridge or a high building with a bungee. And yeah. Just before you hit the ground, it reaches maximum tension and springs you back vertically upwards. I did what's called a reverse bungee where I was wearing a harness. And on that harness was attached a very strong bungee. That bungee went to a crane very 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 high up right and then they increase the tension by raising the crane raising the crane then pull out the stake that's holding me down to the ground so i take off like superman from the ground (laughs) and it was great i shut up like superman i'm flying it was amazing you know i don't know 80 feet or something yeah but the most terrifying thing the reason i'm telling you this is the most terrifying thing is when you get to the apex of the climb and you're no longer climbing there is one microsecond where you're no longer climbing and no longer falling and in that moment you're in free fall and that was the bit when i went this is great i'm going up i'm great and then you feel like the whole universe is falling beneath you that's what it must feel like when you're on one of those motocross bikes on an apex of a now line. imagine doing that without being attached to a bit of string. Yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. no, thank you. It was amazing. It blew my tiny mind. There were like a whole host of McLaren F1s just sat on the Cartier lawn. Yeah. And you kind of walk around and go, it's GTR, long tail. Yeah. That's Rowan Atkinson's old one. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Oh, my God. They're all here. The whole party's come to play. Like I keep forgetting that's the access that this place gives you. Yeah is that if you want to stand next to a McLaren F1, you can, and then you can stand next to, like, another three or four or five just because 
they can do yeah, that. Yeah, it's dizzying, isn't it? Every corner of your eye is filled with some other intriguing thing. And if you don't immediately go and look at that thing, you'll probably miss it. It's because lost there'll be another thousand yeah. things that you want to see that are equally valid. It's glorious. Glorious Goodwood. I think I coined that term. <laughs> it was absolutely wonderful. It was so good to see it back. I mean, I was lucky enough to have a quick spin up the hill in a car that spectacularly crashed off on Sunday. So I'm glad I was there on Saturday. I went in the AMG GT Track Series. Oh, nice. Is that so beyond Black Series, right? Well, it's a sort of gentleman racer's toy, so not quite as downforcey as a GT3. Yep. So you don't have to take any brave pills to properly hammer it, but it's still 750 horsepower. That's enough. And a lovely man called Bernd Schneider took me up. He seemed like he knew what he was doing. Yes, I think I may have heard that name before. <laughs> Bernd Schneider, who has to mix his skills these days between driving the AMG Mercedes safety car or on every other other weekend, he has to drive an Aston Martin Formula One safety car. Poor bloke. What a terrible job. Good bloke to chat to. Did you have much of a conversation? So you see all these lovely hill runs and you see it on the telly and it's all very smooth and very slick. But what actually happens is you're told your run is at 10 past 12. So please be signed on. So you get a kind of wristband thing an hour beforehand. And then you get to the car 40 minutes before your run. And the idea is it then takes you about 40 minutes. And then you do your minute and a bit or whatever it is up the hill. And then you sit and wait for everyone to finish theirs. And then you go down again. And it's all sort of very even and lovely. What inevitably happens, though, is someone crashes. And it takes three hours, (laughs) which is... It took two and a bit. I know of him. I am a fan of his work. But that doesn't necessarily mean I can keep a solid chat going for two hours. Yes. Awkward. The basis of our knowing one another is, Hi, I'm Alex. Nice to meet you. Hello, Alex. We will have fun today, yeah? I'm like, yep, we will. We will, Ben. I can't wait. This is really exciting. It's a huge honour. But yeah, no, luckily he was jumping in and out of the car and talking to people while we were stuck in various bits of traffic. But yes, if you watch Sunday's live stream, you may have seen it just go straight off at the first corner. Yeah, I'm not sure who was driving then. I kept meaning to find out, but I ran out of day. Bit of a worry. But yeah, it was that was a bit of das whoops. I went up the hill twice at Goodwood, both in Lotus Evoras, actually. Ooh, fancy. The first time was driven by Tony Hute, who was one of the project managers on Evora. And then the second time I went up, I was driven by Formula One driver Heike Kovalainen. I mean, that's not bad, is it? Yeah, but again, I couldn't keep a conversation going with Heike for more than 20 minutes. Heike can be hard work. Yeah. I loved him to bits, but he wasn't the easiest man. <laughs> but at the end of the journey, I promised him if he got me up the hill safely, I would sing the Finnish national anthem for him in Finnish. Oh, wow. Did you manage? Well, of course, you got up the hill safe because you're here with all your limbs and yep. your eyes. And we sang the Finnish Anthem together. And it is an episode of Gareth Jones on Speed, a, a video episode some many, many years ago. Look for it in the archive. And while our listeners go and locate that, just search Hakey Coverlining video episode Gareth Jones on Speed, Goodwood. You'll find it. We'll take a short break, then we'll rejoin to talk more about Goodwood. All right, Val. Hello there. You're Gareth Jones, aren't you? I listen to your podcast. What are you doing in this club? Well, I just finished editing and publishing the latest show today. So I fancied a night out listening to music. Hey, I've listened to the latest episode. That's the one where you and Alex Goy 
talking about what you liked and what you didn't enjoy at Goodwood this year. Yeah, that's right. Well, you're not going to like the entertainment tonight then. Why is that? You'll find out. Ladies and gentlemen, will you welcome please on the stage, The Drifters. Alex Goy joins me on Gareth Jones on Speed today to discuss the Goodwood Festival of Speed, which is different to a lot of events that we go to because it's not necessarily a sporting event. It's a festival for those of us who just love being in the company of cars. But there is a sporting element to it where at the end of every day they go for the fastest speed possible up the hill and we'll discuss the vehicle that won the fastest time and some of the contenders in a moment but there were lots of other cars going up the hill i'll tell you what was a lovely emotional moment don't know if you were there for this nigel mansell driving a williams fw14b who was clearly having the time of his life because he said so at the very end he got up onto the balcony and he was interviewed by Karen Chanduk in the presence of Lord March, or the Duke of Richmond, as he's now called. And I swear, Mansell was tearing up. You could hear his voice was choked. He said, it's been the best weekend of my life. Oh, bless him. He really enjoyed himself, poor Mansell. But the best thing about that for me was watching the FW14B, which of course had active suspension. When they readied the car, the Williams Heritage technical team, Mm. got the car going... And then there was a guy standing in front of the car with his hands up, don't go yet, with his foot on the front wing. And then when he stepped away and said, okay, go, the car hunkered down. It physically lowered itself closer to the surface using that active suspension. It was brilliant. It was like watching the future as it used to look in the past. Mansell didn't go crazy hell for leather up the hill, but he just enjoyed being in that car. And it's nice to know that people like him who've led a glorious life of access to drive some of the most incredible cars in the world was as moved by this weekend as the rest of us that was sweet bless mansell i managed to completely miss that because i was probably off gallivanting somewhere doing something silly that had nothing to do with the hill what was your highlight what did you spot there that you thought oh oh i want to take this home Uh, what spoke to the inner child in you you know what it was the 300 mile an hour chiron right yeah 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 ultimately because that speaks to me it's very silly engineering it's largely pointless but for me it's that i remember when the veyron came out and that was sort of the big wow moment for me wow a veyron 250 miles an hour and they've gone that extra step faster and i really like that i know there will be quicker cars out there i know the internal combustion engine is dying a death but i just love it i think it's brilliant they cheekily let a young chap in and they had andy wallace have a natter with him and just this kid's face lit up this this is the fastest car in the world wow and all that so it's that really for me yeah that's what does it i mean there was some cool stuff i saw a sort of exoskeleton electric moped called the zap i300 which was genuinely interesting moped tech the renault 5 ev was there that was cool i missed that did he go up the hill i didn't see no no it was it was in the electric avenue thing so it it was just on display it was that yellow concept car that did the round ages ago yeah pretty it was absolutely gorgeous loved it to bits i spent ages just having a look at it going Oh, you're pretty. I like you. I had a proper close-up look at the Polestar 02, you know, the convertible 
thing. Yeah, they had the cheek of calling it the first convertible electric car. Apart from that silly little Tesla thing from a thousand years ago. The uh, original Roadster. Mm, the load of cynics. Yeah, 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 correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone else did the hard work on that. But no, that was really cool. So I kind of snuck behind the fence and had a proper close-up look. And it's just, it's a beautifully put together thing. But it's, I was talking with someone, I was like, oh, I want that in a bright colour. And he's like, eh, we don't really do bright colours at Polestars. It's six shades of grey, white, black, yeah. or maybe a blue. But that's kind of it. It was right opposite the precept concept, which the prototype of which was running up and down the hill. Properly cool bit of kit. Like. Aren't Polestar doing well? You know, it's very difficult to launch a new brand. I know Polestar was you know, a racing division of Volvo, or the racing firm who took Volvo's racing, and then Volvo absorbed it, and now it's become a brand in its own right. Mm. But it seems to have been received very keenly. People sort of get Polestar. They go, oh, yeah, posh Volvo. Yeah. Or sporting Volvo. You know, they accept it. Sporting Volvo, lecky Volvo. Yeah. They get it because, you know, if a car's going to be built like a Volvo, it's not going to be terrible, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just going to be an good car. The 2 is a genuinely good bit of kit. I had one a couple of years ago and just thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a really good car. And I took my friend out in it because it was mid-Covid so we were sort of bubbling. So we went to this sort of outdoor cinema thing and he went, why is this yellow? I don't understand why this is yellow. And that's you know, the performance stuff on it. But Polestar's getting it right. It's not being big and showy. It's just getting on with the business of being Polestar. Yeah. So there's no CEO swinging his around on social media going, oh, watch this, oh, Dogecoin, lol. Huh. Yeah, I get it. Hashtag pedo guy. They're just making good cars. Yeah, I'm being cool. Genuinely cool. And being cool. I saw their designer on the stand. He and I favour the same type of trainers, so officially my trainers are cool. (laughs) And that was probably the best thing to happen at Goodwood. (laughs) My favourite thing at Goodwood, my favourite car at Goodwood, wasn't a car. It was a van. Oh, yeah. I missed it completely. And I'm really irritated about that. This is the Ford Supervan 4. Now, yeah, I remember, I think, all three... Previous Ford Transit supervans, which had V8 engines. I mean, there was a Transit that had a Jaguar V12 in it that was actually... That was, uh, it was an XJ220. Yeah, but it wasn't the supervan. But the supervans, Ford supervans, have all been internal combustion engines up to now. But now they've applied the tech from the Mach-E Mustang and the Aero from the most recent... Le Mans Ford GT. I don't know if you managed to look at the van, if you saw it at any point. You know what? I didn't get anywhere near it. I went looking for it, couldn't find it for love nor money, uh, and I've got it because I really wanted to have a look at that. It looked mega. It's fascinating. It's great at both ends. The front end... Is a van. It's got like a new interpretation. <laughs> it's a van, but it's kind of slim, rather than looking like a guppy, which is about to swallow you, which I think most transits do. This one was kind of very sort of thin horizontal lines, like sort of the neo-electric car culture at the front, which I think makes the transit look both familiar, but modern. But the back end was the bit that got me. It's not a panel van, all the way to the C-pillar. About halfway between the B-pillar and the C-pillar, the side panels slope in towards the centre of the vehicle, disappear completely, in the same way that the flying buttresses on the GT allow air to pass through that new void that they've created, that thing that Lotus do, what do they call it? Porous aerodynamics. Porosity. Porosity. They were doing it on the supervan, and it made it look great. And it, I 
gosh, it, it went up there. It was quick by the sounds of things. Yeah, Gus, did I missed that. But what I did manage to find is I managed to find the hashtag very gay raptor. Ah, yes. Now, I spotted this and well done, Ford, for taking a performance pickup, arguably the most macho car mm-hmm. any manufacturer could make, and painting it in the rainbow colours and saying, question everything you know. Do you know why they did it? No, go on. Go on, tell me. So they posted a picture of the Ranger Raptor on a social channel. And some internet troll went, oh, it's very gay. And they went, you think that's very gay? Watch this. Well done. And they properly doubled down on it. I think they did a render and put it on their channel. Someone said, the Raptor's very gay. Well, check this out. And then they actually made it, and they made it a thing, and they ran it up the hill. They also, while they were there, had a series of kind of live talks called Tough Talks, celebrating LGBTQ people, talking about the issues surrounding it. Yep. And so they took this one horrid little troll and turned it into something genuinely brilliant. Uh, And I was properly impressed with it, and it's very cool. Very bright and very cool. Respect the Ford Motor Company. I've always mm. loved them. And, you know, they've had some difficult things that they've done over the years, but also done some wonderful things. And this is great. This is pioneering stuff. What else did I spot going up there? Your mate Jensen Bottom driving the first corner FCI X, the electric rally cross car that he's driving in the American Championship now. Is that the team that he owns or something? Does he own it? No. An Extreme E team. He owns. Yeah. yeah, not this one. But he was very excited. He wanted to talk to me about Rallycross when I saw him at the Electra launch. And he went up there even... Uh, when was this? The Saturday shootout, not the Sunday shootout. He really ragged it. He was taking no prisoners. He was doing his level best to get the fastest time up the hill and very, very, very nearly did it. Respect. Excellent. And other quick electric cars going up the hill, because I think we ought to talk about the shootout now, because it was a sensational thing. The Porsche 718 GT4E Performance, an electric Porsche. I haven't got the final results in front of me. Allow me to be the man in the chair. One second. How did it do in the end? Anyway, I'll keep talking while you're searching. Lots of other cars went up the hill trying to break the record. My heart bled. For Nick Heidfeld, my mate, Nick Heidfeld. I call everyone my mate who I've at least interviewed once or twice on the programme. Because he set the record many, many, many years ago, 1999, and it stood ever since. Although the VW IDR unofficially broke it last year, but it didn't do it in the time shootout. It did in one of the other sessions. You've got to be outright fastest. But Nick Heidfeld went up in the new Gen 3 Formula E car. And if you think about it, that car stood a good chance of breaking the record or at least getting very, very close to it. But on the two occasions in which I saw it go up the hill, it broke down. Oh, no. Yeah, really. That is about as embarrassing as you get. Especially when you think that there are Edwardian vehicles there. Cars built in 1908, which managed to get up the hill. And yet Formula E's pinnacle of electric car technology and the giant scale of Mahindra behind it failed to deliver a car that would work every time. They sort of shot themselves in the foot there, I'm afraid. With that. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I'm still looking for the results. They're not easy to find this year. OK. Well, the other cars that were running up the hill in the shootout, there was a Group C Jag, the XJR 
2012D, I think it was, driven by Justin Law. That was right up there in the top five at one point, and arguably the fastest, or one of the fastest, internal combustion engine cars that went up the hill. The most ridiculous was Travis Pastrana. Travis Pastrana in his Subaru Did thing. you see that? Here's a fun fact. Yeah, do you know who designed it? No. A British man called Kaisal Salim. You'll find him on Instagram as the Kaiser. He's a sort of 3D graphic artist. He worked on Need for Speed games. And yeah, he designed Travis Pastrana's car with all its active aero and its wild body kit. He has a company called LTO, Live to Offend. <laughs> and yeah, he did that, which is cool. But it was a curious thing with active aero. It had, as many cars do, a rear spoiler that leans forward under braking. But it also had kind of winglets or tabs, perhaps, that raised forward round about where the wing mirrors were to give you additional aerodynamic braking. It was a weird thing to watch. It was like watching a beetle land and fold its wings away and then unfold them and fly away again. Justin Law came fourth overall. I found them. It took many PDF downloading. My computer is now almost certainly full of viruses. (laughs) Justin Law ended up coming fourth in his XJR12D. Travis Pastrana in the GL family Huckster came fifth with 46 seconds 20 and a closing speed of 132.3 miles an hour. Okay, let's talk about the top three in reverse order then. Who got the third quickest time? Ben Mitchell in the BMW March 782. (sighs) So that is the Formula 2 car that Ben Mitchell drove. It is, I think, an 80s Formula 2 car, and it always baffles me that a Formula 2 car could beat a Formula 1 car, even older Formula 1 cars, up the hill. But well done. Third place, Ben Mitchell. Second place. Second place, Richard Lights in the Porsche 718 GT4 E Performance, finishing in at 45.50. That thing went like heck, and he almost lost it at one point as well. He got one of his wheels on the grass, but managed to hold it together. Yeah, I know, that was heart-stopping. Oh, no thank you, no, no. But sadly, it will be entirely forgotten because in at number one is a car we've spoken about before and I was very rude about and I'm eating my words. Max Chilton in the McMurtry Automotive Spieling. Do you remember what you called this car when you saw it? Oh, a carbon fibre bollock or something like that, probably. It looked like a testicle designed by Giga, I think is what you said. (laughs) Giga who designed all this stuff in Alien. That sounds like something Zog would say because it's far cleverer than anything that would come out of my mouth. <laughs> well, it came out of your mouth. I can verify that. The McMurtry Spearling. Yes. I'm glad that we spotted it last September and had to talk about it and were wowed by it then in one way or another. But now it's wowed everybody by recording... It set the record. Yeah, the time was... 39.08. 149.13 miles per hour. That was the speeds it crossed the finish line. That's incredible. And to watch that thing on TV, the fact, A, that it's going quicker than anything else, gets your attention. Yeah. But the fact that it is about... A third of the size of most of the vehicles going up there. It's tiny. Yeah, it's like a it's car. absolutely tiny. Yeah. I was there on the Saturday and I was watching it on the screen and it kind of pulled off to a halt and I thought, oh no, it's broken. It's spewing smoke out of the back because I've not seen it run yet. Yet, yeah, no, it's supposed to do that. It's supposed to fire smoke out the back because that's actually stuff from the fan. Yeah. Because it's got fans. It's got two fans. I uh, was it 2,000 kilos of downforce static. And then just as it crossed the finish line, it would have had its full downforce of 2,250 kilos. And what does that thing weigh? It doesn't weigh two tonnes. Oh, 
absolutely nothing. Uh, hang on. So if any car, you know, this thing about, oh, yes, well, Formula One cars produce enough aerodynamic downforce that they can run on the ceiling of the tunnel at Monaco, the McMurtry Spearling could do that. And the reason it could do that was it could do it from static. Mm. Because it produces more downforce than its own mass standing still. So you could then drive it up into the ceiling of the tunnel and then go. I'm listening to that whole process of the fans booting up before it takes off is amazing. It sounds like a jet plane at that point. And then just goes with no squealing or anything. Gone. Gone. Cameras couldn't keep up with it. No one was expecting it to be that fast because it's so small, so light, so nimble. It weighs under a ton, so they say, and it's one to one power to weight. So it's just mental. It's just incredible. Yeah, and I applaud McMurtry, who aren't even a car company. You know, they're an engineering company who make measuring devices, who've decided to turn their hand to building the fastest thing ever to go up the hill questioned all the conventions of how you would normally achieve that and came up with something which is genuinely unique. That is one of the stories of the decade. That, for me, the Mercury Spearling and the Nissan Delta Wing, these oh, yeah. absolutely unconventional cars. These are my favourites in the world. I'm genuinely excited about the Spearling. I'd like to climb into it, but I don't think I'm capable of driving a car that fast. I've driven fast cars, and that's, they say, 0 to 60 in 1.5 seconds. A uh, hard pass on that. I think that's the limit of what I'd be happy to do. Other stuff I noticed there that warmed my heart in one way or another Giancarlo Fisichella went up the hill in a Ferrari 333 SP, which is one of my favourite sports cars of all time. However, Fizzy, who is one of my favourite drivers, I've supported Fizzy for a long time, was driving the wrong car. He should have been in the 333 SP that was in the Momo colours, because that is the one that I think is the most beautiful sports car ever built. But I had to settle for him driving one of the others. It didn't look quite as good in that paint scheme. But it was one of those moments where I'm sitting on the sofa, where in two breaths, the first thing, I jumped up and said, Oh, Ferrari 333 SP! And they went, Oh, and Fizzy's driving! <laughs> I got all emotional, all the hairs, as they have done now, stood up on my arm. And it was a real child's excitement moment. And I love it that it can do that. Aww. I was thrilled to see lots of lotuses going up the hill, the Avaya, the Amira, and jim clark's lotus f1 car that mansell drove up the hill and for him he said well we ought to bring him back there it's the best formula one car ever that was yes finn you can agree with me please stop sharing. hello finn meow always knows when i'm recording meow. comes and joins him <laughs> but if i was given the opportunity to take something up the hill at goodwood i've worked out what it would be and if you alex were given the choice of going up that hill in anything, what would you go up in? Ooh, that's tough. I would go up in... What would I go up in? That's the worst question you could ask me. It's like, which of the sweets in this massive sweet shop would you like to play in? I would like to go up in... You know what? I'm going to say that 300 mile an hour Chiron because I really like those things. They're silly and they're stable, so it's quite difficult to cock that up because the brakes are really good and it's really fast. So you just go from point to point and then nail the brakes. And then you could say to all your friends that you've been up the hill at Goodwood in the world's fastest road car. Yeah. It doesn't get better than that. In fact, it does. No, it doesn't rather, does it? What about you? A Gilburn Invader? You're very close. 
You're very close. <laughs> I'll explain. A river simple. There are two things I'd like to go up the hill in. One is a sidecar, a motorcycle sidecar. You know those people who hang on to the sidecar, who wear leathers and lean one way when they're going right and get on the rear seat if it had one when they're going left? Yes, yeah. they're insane. I'd love to do that. I reckon I could do that. i serious. I reckon I could do it. I'm not sure if I could handle anything else going up the hill. But if I could, I was inspired when I saw a 1979 shadow dn9 going up the hill formula one car mm. i would like to go up that hill in tom price's shadow yeah dn3 dn5 dn8 maybe any of the shadows that tom price drove ideally the black 1974 uop liveried car that he drove representing the welsh formula one driver i would love to go up that hill and hear the commentators tell that story and say and there's a welshman driving one of tom price's biggest fans i would be a mess and you could still hear you behind your nomex behind your helmet going yeah and there'll be tears i get to the top i'd just be floods of tears i did it i drove tom Bice's car but that may or may not ever happen but i'm tempted to get in touch with channel 4 wales and say do you know what i've had an idea for a program because i'd have to go through the whole training program learning formula renault formula three formula two and be able to drive a classic formula one car but these things dreams are made of and an allah's dream as my friend gilbert the alien used to say alex thank you for sharing your joy of Goodwood with us today. Thank you. And next year, should we go together? Yeah, go on then. Let's do that. See you there. Say bye, Alex. Bye. And goodbye from me. See you. For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to GarethJones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by a whiz band. Gareth Jones on Speed!